Open World Chat. I am your host, uh, Jim Dandino, and I'm joined, as always, by our host and founder, John Odom. John, say hello. Oh, founder. I have a better yeah. title than you. You get a better title than me. You put more work in, as you pointed out before we started recording. Uh, and wow. we are joined today uh, by Nate Cosby. Uh, Nate is a seasoned comic book professional. He is an editor, uh, a writer, a letterer, or am I remembering incorrectly? Absolutely not. No. 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 <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. I would. That's I would fine. never want a job that hard yeah. or thankless. Yeah. No. Jesus. The 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 deadline crunch alone is enough to shave years off of your life. Uh, anyway, um, we should have a letter on sometime because I just want to know what motivates them. You know? I, uh, yeah. I recommend Chris Eliopoulos. Okay. Yeah, well, if you, if you want to hear some battle stories, my God, <laughs> boy, oh boy, receiving, like receiving <laughs> like 12 pages of new lettering for a book that like has already been lettered four times has to go out on a Friday. And Oh, by the way, it's the best selling event Marvel series that they have like on any given day. Like I, Dan slot is amazing, but like Dan slots lettering process, sometimes with amazing Spider-Man. Oh, I, I just, I worked in the office next to Steve Wacker and just like, just hearing just like, Oh my God, new pages and Joe Carmagna having to do everything all the way over again. Yeah. So I would never. I letters are are worth quadruple their weight in gold at, at all times. You know, I wonder if it's like yeah. you know we all knew that like the guy in high school who was like the obsessive guitar player, and they must be sitting in their closet every day going doing their hammer downs and everything. I wonder if if the the urge to letter is like the same thing. You know, like this the guy in high school and he's in the closet and he's like practicing smaller and smaller little fonts. You know, it's more know. like the basis, right? I don't know if you guys have watched <laughs> Get Back, but like George Harrison was always the guy that like I got these ideas, but my job is open. I'm sorry, I'm stepping all over the introduction here, and now we're talking about oh, right. something completely. Right, different. I saw. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, sorry, you got yeah, letter. No, you're following up on my dates, like oh. You're, 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 you're just reinforcing my seasoned comic book professional because you know this process inside and out. And now uh, we are talking today about Alter Ego, uh, a, uh, your new book with Jacob Edgar um, that is, um, the Kickstarter is launching, I think, the day that, um, this, that, our, that we go live with this episode. Uh, so welcome and congratulations, I think, in advance. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so Nate, tell me alter ego's origin story. Tell me the, tell me the elevator pitch and, and tell me where you came up with it because it is, it's interesting. Yeah. I'd, I'd worked at Marvel comics for like several years and then kind of by that, by the time I was ready to, to move on to other stuff, I, you know, I was, I was probably feeling like I had my fill of superhero stories for that time, you know, going from like age zero to, 20 something. It's like, okay, like, um, let me go find some other stuff. And so, you know, sword and sandal and, um, uh, other adventure kind of series and se- spy stories. And, and so I kind of just like let my superhero love just kind of lay fallow for a, a while. And I guess maybe that was the reason that like something kind of started bouncing around in my brain when I started thinking about, cause you know, obviously I left Marvel right around the time that like, Marvel Studios became what they were. Iron Man and Iron Man 2 had come out, but like Captain America had not yet come out and that kind of stuff. And so once it became like superheroes started to take over every genre, basically, and certainly the entire movie industry, um, 
superheroes are just out there. And so I just kind of like, like, ah, like, okay. Like, but so like, what would it, what would a superhero actually do? You know, it's like, what, why would a superhero actually want to do what they're doing? And, and I guess the first, the first, the first place I came at it from was like, well, it's, it's somebody that wants to help. Right. Like fundamentally it's somebody that wants to like put themselves out there. They feel so strongly and passionate about helping others that they're willing to throw on a cape and a mask and go out and jump around whether they have the capabilities or powers or not. And I started thinking like, well, what if that person didn't have control of, of turning that off at the end of the day? What if you spent all day jumping around like Superman or Spider-Man or whatever? And at the end of the day, you have a meal. Like, do you chill out? You just like, oh boy, that was, oof, let me have a beer. Like that was, that was something like, or would you be an obsessive about it and want to like, okay, I have my coffee. I've had my dogs. Now let's put on my other alias and go out there and fight crime in a different kind of way. And so I, that was just sort of the germ of the idea I had. I, I kind of kept it tucked away for a few years working on other things, but then Jacob and I, we'd worked on a Western before uh, called Fantastic Bandits and we were ready to work on something new. And I think he was he was itching to do some kind of like real superhero week kind of thing. He'd gotten he'd been able to do a Batman a sh- Batman short story for the radio adaptation series, and um, he was posting the Superman and Batman one pagers that he was creating on his own. And and so that kind of like I just I reached out to him and said like I got this one superhero idea, literally one. <laughs> if you're interested in that, we'll do this one. If you don't, then we'll move on to something else. And he really liked it. And so we developed it together and figured out, you know, it, 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 the setting and the character and all that kind of stuff. And it was really the first time I had, I had done some superhero world building for something that I'd written. I've, I've edited thousands of superhero comics at this point, but this is the first one that's like really personal and, and, uh, and that I wanted to, to tell on my own or, or tell, with, tell along with Jacob. So he's a workaholic. Yeah, not you. absolutely. Your, your main character. Yeah. Ace uh, Adams. Yeah. Ace Adams is he, he's a Hollywood stunt man who just doesn't sleep, you know, and that was something that 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 I really under uh, understood. I, I personalized it because like when I first started working in comics, I got hired at Marvel Comics at the same time I was writing uh, scripts for the, the rebooted version of Electric Company for PBS for the PBS workshop. So I was spending all my time like I was showing up like super early in the morning to work at Marvel. I would sometimes work until like seven or eight o'clock at night, go home, run, eat, and then like write scripts until about four, four thirty in the morning. And then, you know, get like two, two and a half hours of sleep and then start the cycle all over again. So I I kind of that's kind of where I approach this, where it's like Ace Adams is this stuntman and he spends, you know, like when he's not throwing himself uh, off of cliffs or like like crashing planes or cars on purpose he when when called for he he throws on a cape and a and a bright tunic and calls himself Whizbang and like he's kind of like got this powers of golden age superman where he can you know he can jump but not fly he's relatively invulnerable but you hit him hard enough or shoot him enough and like that hurts so like and he does that all day and he kisses the babies and he shakes the politicians hands and he signs all the autographs and then he goes home, feeds his dogs, and then gets into his big cape and cowl, calls himself the black dog and growls his way through, you know, growls his way through the night, uh, scaring the hell out of out of criminals. And so, like, the interesting the interesting element of it for me was like, 
and and the thing that I that Jacob and I like when we figured this out, like it it really it really cracked it is that it's not just that he's a workaholic; he's also a like a um, a frustrated actor. You know, it's like he's a stuntman because he couldn't get a job as a star, and so he sees. He not only wants to help, but he sees the opportunity for these two different aliases as performances, as roles. You know, it's like he's got like he changes the, the way his shoulders are, like they're back when he's whiz bang. He's hunched over when he's black dog. It's it's all these different kind of fight moves and things that he says and ways that he ways that he acts with this. It, so it's you know, it's like an all consuming kind of performance. The roles of a lifetime, we say in the book. So. um Obviously, you mentioned it's not your first time working with Jacob. Um, you've been with him uh, since the Money Penny book. Was that your first? The, that your first time finding him? That was one of the first times. Yeah, I think I did one of my like I, I tweet a lot of times where it's like, hey, I'm you know for for some project I'm editing, I'm looking for two interior artists, a colorist, whatever kind of thing. And I think Jacob was was one of the ones that responded with, and I really liked his stuff and. Gave him a shot on, uh, I think Jody Hauser wrote that Money Penny yeah. one shot. And then, uh, yeah, I, I had him on um, a couple of Mark Russell, Red Sonia things. And then his first full, full mini that I edited was Death to the Army of Darkness with Ryan uh-huh. Parrott writing. But he, but yeah, Jacob and I, had, um, we, we both went to SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design. So we had that connection. Um, and, and we just kind of liked we liked the collaboration. We kind of had the same, we had the same touchstones of like, of love of, um, of different pop culture things, some superhero, but then, I mean, the biggest reason that we did that we love alter ego is, is because it's our shared love of, uh, of classic movies. You know, it's uh-huh. like, I just, I, I, I burn out my TCM app just like constantly. <laughs> like if I like either watching a full old movie I'd never heard of, or just like they have the little clips that where you can watch just like four minute sections of, you know, anchors away or, or New York, New York. I, I was watching this movie. I'd never heard it's Marlon Brando movie called Sayonara that I'd never heard of until yeah. last night. It's amazing. It's a, it's a movie from the fifties about military people during the Korean, Korean war, like, uh, try like finding love, like falling in love with Korean women. But at the time the military was not supposed to do that. And, and so it was just like this really progress. It's of its time, certainly, but it's a like a, a surprisingly progressive kind of story that uh, from the fifties that I'd never heard of. It's like, I, I, I just, I love, I love those kinds of the kind of vibe of an old school movie where it's just like, even whether it's like a, a big adventure serial adventures of Robin Hood or third man, there's just kind of like that, let's put on a show kind of energy to, to old movies that, that you don't always feel there's like almost an ironic detachment sometime with, with newer movies. Not, I love newer movies, don't get me wrong, but there's just something cool about like literally popping some popcorn, turning the lights out and watching an old movie. So, yes. So what is Jacob doing here that he couldn't do when you first started working with him? Man, I mean, take anything that I threw at him. Uh, (laughs) He he's one of those guys where it's like the energy was there, the the vibrancy, the the hunger to 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 make everything work. I I just think that he was when I first I noticed like when I first started working with him, there were these tiny little peccadillos that he didn't quite have figured out. That every artist, I mean, every artist is trying to find their form. Um, but like you know, like 
whatever, like he'd have a, he'd struggle with a nose or like I'd ask for like a guy to be smoking a cigarette and the, and the perspective wasn't quite working right. Or like if I'd have like an over the shoulder shot with like a glance over and that was kind of a, he, he would maybe do a thing and then I would push him to go further. And he, and he ate that up. You know, it's like, that's why I love collaborating with certain artists where it's like, they're hungry to, to like, I don't know, like either take the experience that I have or just hear my perspective. And because, you know, oftentimes artists are working in a vacuum. They're, they're working at their houses or in a studio by themselves. It's them in the page and their pencil. And so to have people try to, I try to not give the note of like, oh, that sucks or, oh, that's good. I try, I try to let people know that like, here's what I think is good and what I think could have some work. You know, I pick my battles. I don't try to try to terraform every single page, but I try to give honest feedback, especially with some people that are like learning, learning their craft, trying to figure out their world. Uh, Jacob is there now. I mean, it's, I, I always love um, artists, you know, artists that I grew up with like Michael Ringo, um, where like you look at his early stuff and it's, it's good, but you can tell that he's not, he wasn't quite sure what he was like, what his style was. And there yeah. was a time that locked in right around the time, I guess maybe he was working with Wade on flash around the time that they created impulse together. And then definitely into fantastic four, when you could tell that he knew what his figures looked like, he knew how to draw his version of a hand, his nose, his his background people and once he once he unlocked that once he cracked that you could see him experimenting with where he put his camera you know it's like he was doing over the head shots he was doing bird's eye view worm's eye view all sorts of things that like he was not he didn't have he didn't seem like he had the confidence to do but then he did and that was like that's why he's one of my favorites to watch that kind of lock in and jacob's been the same way which where it's like yeah, he did Money Penny uh, first time and it was really good. And I remember giving him several notes, but like in the last couple of projects we've worked on, like there's not many notes. Like he he knows what he does. Like he's he's put the work in to try to find to try to find his characters, his craft. And we talked a lot about I didn't want to overnote him to death on this, um, because I wanted I wanted to like I encouraged him to like find his own way and that kind of thing. We talked about our influences with this project, like we, we talked a lot about Darwin Cook and and the different kinds of stories that he told, like the, the humongous widescreens of DC, the new frontier, and then the cramped noir tinge stuff of his work with Brubaker on, uh, on Catwoman. And, mm-hmm. and I think Jacob really took that as a, as a starting point for the perspective, because we're telling the story of the daytime, which is big and the nighttime, which is small. You know, that, it just makes me think you have you commented that alter ego is all about what it means to be a hero hmm. and of course people there's there's a i don't know if it's it's fair to say a schism but there are different opinions in in comics among superhero fans you know you got that classic dichotomy between the sort of you know dark vigilante you know batman style and the and the you know the hero of the light you know the superman batman classic but that dichotomy is it's gotten so extreme among so many fans you wonder if they're looking at the same thing and you're you're asking that question in this interesting combination is that uh, are you going to be mining how are you going to mine that i guess it's uh, i mean i want to it's absolutely what was in my mind. You know, it's like, I, I have a deep love of both Superman and Batman. When people ask me what my, who my favorite superhero is, it's like, 
I mean, I guess Superman, but it's like, I can't, I can't say Superman without Batman because like Batman was a response to Superman, right? Like Siegel Schuster come out with that and then Finger and Kane. I don't know if it was a year, less than a year. It's like, it was like, oh, a costume guy that's doing stuff. Oh, well, what if you have a costume guy like this? And then Captain Marvel obviously came after that. But it's like, um, you know, to, to me, it's even, even like some of the darkest kind of brooding vigilante kind of stuff, your, your punishers, your, you know, whoever, like there is a desire to help, you know, it's like there's vengeance, but it's also like to stop something or to help someone or that kind of thing. And so I'm, I'm approaching it from, from a method standpoint, you know, it's like, there's this one guy and he wants to help everybody and he knows he can't actually help everybody, but that's not going to stop him from trying. And so he realizes in the moment when we find our hero, like he's been about a year into the whiz bang persona. He's been, he's been jumping around and fighting sci-fi robots and like bank robbers dress like football teams that have like that run plays to be able to steal things. And, and like, and that's all great, <laughs> but the criminal, like the darker criminal element, the people that are not wearing costumes and stuff have gone even further underground at night. You know, it's like, we're not, go- we're not operating at all during the day. We're only going out night. So crime is rising when the sun goes down. Well, that doesn't like that. That doesn't mean he's being effective. He's actually hurting people that are out at night. It's not safe to go out in Hollywood at night. So he understands that like, I got to put out a different vibe at night. I got to go do something different. I got to make them scared to, to want to operate at night too. And so he comes up with this, with this persona. And, and as I said before, like, it starts from a performance standpoint. He thinks like, if I act like this, if I fake this till I make this, I'll be able to make, you know, uh, I'll be able to like make everything better. But he finds out that like you, you kind of, it's not just a performance. Like it actually becomes when you pretend to be this dark figure, like black dog is, is, is based on like British folklore of like the, you know, like from the Hound of Baskervilles from Sherlock Holmes. It's like, he's a spirit. He's a dog. He's an angry mongrel that, that, that attacks, um, at night. And he's pretending to be that every night. And, and like, when you pretend to be that, when you pretend like you're going to like, like take somebody's soul or like chew on them, he's not actually doing that. He's just a guy, but like, when you pretend like that, you, you kind of get high on your own supply to an extent and you kind of give yourself over to the darkness. And so he's going to find as he goes along that it's a tricky balance to spend all that time being that dark guy and then all the time during the day being this bright, sunny dude. And then, oh, by the way, trying to have a life when he's not doing either. And so there's a lot of questions about identity and like who, when you spend all of your time pretending to be these two completely different people, who are you? You know, it's like, so... So he's gonna he's gonna ask the questions of those brooding characters, but he's also gonna re- try to remember that he started from a place of light and that he wanted he wanted to he wanted to do it this way, but he understands that there's certain lines that he may have to cross. And at the end of the day, I don't want to spoil the story, but he he needs help. He needs he needs you know he needs assistance. He needs family. He needs uh, a support group to be able to get him through this journey that he's going on because. You can't do it alone, no matter how talented you are. Yeah. I was going to say, it so, sounds like he might need therapy too. This is like a recipe for need, bipolar uh, disorder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the ACE story sounds 
fascinating. Um, and I'm, I'm very into it. And I want to keep discussing that. But you hooked me on uh, bank robbers who run football plays mm. to steal things. <laughs> <laughs> Does the setting enable you to um, be a little bit more silly with the villains? Um, because like we don't have, there's not, nobody does that anymore in comics, right? Nobody runs themed heists, really. Yeah, you know, it, it, it became, as I said earlier, that idea of like the, the old, old school movie, let's put on a show thing. Like we, we wanted to build, you know, what, what we're building is like, we're starting from the place of like a 1940s Hollywood, you know, like the studio system, glitz and glamour, movie stars, difficult directors, and, and that kind of thing, just churning out, churning out, churning out films. But we... I don't know, like you could say that like I was sort of inspired by like Bridgerton that came out last year. There was another Netflix show called Hollywood that was, you know, by, by that I wasn't 100% on board with, but I like the vibe sometimes. We're, we're taking the trappings of the era, but we're kind of blowing it up and telling like a historical fiction because um, it's more fun that way. So we're what we're building is basically like a Disney world of Hollywood where like entire studios have taken over these giant chunks of, of, of land where it's like, you've got a noir neighborhood, you've got a Western neighborhood, you've got a sci-fi neighborhood. You're also inviting all different cultures and races to come and do their kinds of films, Japanese, Nigerian. There's a whole Bollywood land going on. We wanted to have it be like, start from like a really fun diverse kind of place have a humongous playground and then oh by the way superheroes and supervillains are also sprouting out of that and a lot of the super supervillains especially are going to be similar to ace in that they are they tried to make it big and they couldn't and so there's a lot of i'll show you i'll show them all kind of energy coming out of everybody i'll like though me and my you know i'm i ran planes in the war so what I'm going to do now, like I, I tried to become like the greatest stunt coordinator, like do the, do a, like a Howard Hawks epic. Oh, they won't fund me. Fine. I'll go rob them all and I'll never land. There's a guy like I'll, 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 I haven't discussed this publicly, but in our second chapter, there's a guy named Sky God and he named himself that and he literally never lands. He flies around Hollywood with his, uh, with his uh, sidekicks, the Flyboys, and he lets them dip down and rob everybody at night, but he refuses to land. Like, they got to come and link up. And, and it's just like, I just kind of came up with that thinking, like, literally, I just kind of want a guy that's dressed sort of like in just these, this huge, ornate Hollywood-style stuff yelling, I am the sky! just all the time and just like why not why can't a supervillain like be that loud and and rambunctious so i mean you know so we're doing some of the adam west batman energy but it's also like very much taken from that golden going into silver age sort of stuff where it's like there's some silliness like we're we're having fun but we're also taking it pretty seriously like like these guys that are like not like like these this uh the football team as i said it's like they're like they're dressed as football players and they're yelling set high blue 80 omaha omaha and then they're robbing a bank but like it's real world stakes like they're actually going to hurt some people if a superhero doesn't step in so <laughs> at the end of the day it's comics like we're trying to have some fun you know right yeah right and it sounds like you are yeah um yeah. so like i well, now that's going to be a buzzkill but like <laughs> uh, it, it seems like it seems like the the, the desire to help right is hmm. um it, it's core to the story is that what 
Is that what you can say in Cape books that you can't say in, say, a spy book or a horror comic? What is it? What what is it that you're doing or that you're able to do working in superheroes now that you weren't able to do working doing the the Gumroad Western, right? Um, well, I mean, I think I, I think the fact that like when you put on a costume and a mask and a cape and you jump around, like you are you are signaling, hey, I'm here to help. You know, it's like you're not you're not trying to hide it. You're putting it on front street. Here I am. Where's the bad guy? What do I punch? You know, um, a spy story, you know, like di- when, when you try to go to different genres, you know, I edit, I edit James Bond. I've edited a lot of James Bond stuff and I'm writing a James Bond thing right now, actually. But it's like, yeah, he's trying to help. But like a spy, traditionally a spy is kind of handled like a weapon, you know? Mm-hmm. And a weapon doesn't necessarily have morals. Uh, a weapon it does. A weapon does what a weapon is told or wielded to do. Um, with a western, you know, like I, I think I've I've now read, written a couple westerns, Fantastic Bandits, and I I, I did Cowboy with with Chris Heliopolis. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I love the moral ambiguity that comes with that. Everybody's wearing a hat everybody's got mud on their boots. Everything's kind of messy. And what are we, you know, like who did what you done me wrong. I'm going to give back at you. Give me my money, that kind of thing. It, it's, it's, a, it's a little murkier and, and, you know, superheroes. I don't know. I, it's just a little more direct. It's a little easier to talk about the idea of doing good or fighting bad when you have that kind of iconography, when you're trying, when you're trying to do that. And I, it is a relatively new thing for me. As I said, I, you know, I, I worked in Marvel for, for so many years and, and worked on it pretty much every superhero there. And, but, but I helped with that. I didn't, I didn't bond my own sense of morality or try to tell my own kind of story in a lot of those times. And this is my first time trying to think of what, like, what if you just wanted to help? Like, what if you just, and, and it's not, but it's not just want, what if you had to help? What if you needed to help? What if it was an urge? And, and, and that's what I'm kind of trying to explore, have some fun with it, but also just think like, I don't know, just like so many people think about the idea of helping and, and who's not in favor of helping, but who actually goes out and does something about it. And this is about what that, this is what that is. And it's, and this guy like starts his performing, but then it becomes more than that. Then he actually starts to, it, it goes from like being on top of him to getting under his skin a little bit. And I was just interested in exploring that kind of thing. You know, you mentioned cowboy and uh, it was making me think there's a, a parallel in a sense, in the setting, you were talking about the sort of light um, uh, sort of frothy goofiness, the football team and everything, but then with the serious stakes back there. And I, you know, in cowboy, that's, that's right there with the with the with the art style, you know, light looks like, you know, peanuts who said it was Charles Schultz meets Frank Miller, which didn't quite seem fair, but or, or right. Her music. But, um, yeah. <laughs> OK, OK. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, but it sounds like in a sense you're doing the same sort of thing here, just in a in a different way. Does that that 
you know, here's this look, here's serious stakes. Here's this look, here's serious stakes. Is that just a juxtaposition you like, or is that just the way it worked out? Yeah, it's, it's always something that I'm interested in. You know, it's like, I, I like, I like taking the expectations of a certain like genre or art style. And then and I don't even know if sneaking is the right word, but I like to like, like attach it to this, this deeper thing. I've always read superheroes, especially like that way. Like there's always a sense of like daring do adventure stuff, but it's always like, yeah, but you're actually like, this is for, I mean, you just, you, you can look at that the very first Superman story ever where he's, you know, punching politicians and trying to save a woman for being electrocuted, <laughs> like, like trying to get the governor on the phone and things like that. It's like, these are serious things with a silly dude in a, you know, and dressed kind of like a, a circus performer. Um, but, uh, you know, like with cowboy, I, I only ever wanted Chris to draw that. And I remember turning in the first scripts um, and, you know, he and I wrote, I, I wrote it for him first, but he drew the first, like, I don't know, 25 pages. And then I started writing more of the script and sending it to a pu- our publisher by that point. And our publisher was like, I'll be honest, like, if you had just sent these scripts first, like, I would have thought that you were like drawing for like Gabriel Hardman, <laughs> you know, it's like, like, like somebody like, or, you know, like somebody scritch, scratchy, like visceral kind of like serious. And, and, and that was the point. That's what I was trying to say with that, where it's like, that's a 10 year old who's decided to round up his entire outlaw family, you know, and that, and that to me, like there's a version of that, that could have been done with an art, an art style that's more quote unquote realistic, but when you when you pair it with that kind of open style that Chris brings, that emotional that emotional thing that he brings to his stuff, like it kind of hits harder. Um, it's kind of why like why a Pixar movie can often mean a lot more to me than like a straight up you know live action drama where they're really trying to put the emotions like like really build those emotions into those high concepts and high high genre things. So that's what I'm trying to do. And and you're right to to recognize that because maybe that's the only way I can write come to think of it. But it's, but like, I love the idea of taking this iconography and all these things that I love and, and like instilling them, informing them with, with all of these heavier concepts that I'm, I'm just interested in. And, and frankly, like I don't, aren't always there in all of the comics that I read or all of the stories that I read. That, that's nothing. I I love I love a story for story's sake, but there's there's some things that there's oftentimes that I find myself writing just because like I think this is something I'd want to read, and I don't know where to get it, so I guess I'll just write it myself, <laughs> and then I'll just you know, and I maybe I'll forget it after a year and read it again. It's like oh good okay. <laughs> um, so you've made comics pretty much every way possible, right? You've mm-hmm. done you've worked for Marvel. Uh, you've edited for Dynamite. You've self-published your Gumroad. Now you're going through Kickstarter. Um, what's the best part about crowdfunding the book? And what is the part that scares the hell out of you? Yeah, I, you know, so this is going to be my fifth Kickstarter. Um, right. I was, I've, I've done a few now, you know, like I worked on Dragon with Saladinama and Dave Acosta. And uh, I did um, Ed Brisson's book uh, with Lissandro and, and Blighter with Jeff Parker, Drew Moss, and then my own, uh, the thing I wrote for Jennifer L. Meyer, Fight Bunny, The Effervescent Adventures of Fight Bunny. Um, but the first couple of times, it scared the hell out of me. Like, I didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, 
because I'd only come from the infrastructure of a publisher. You know, it's like, right. I know my part in this. I make this book and then I give it to them and they market it, they publish it, they they ship it out and all this kind of stuff. So the whole like backing fulfillment thing scared the hell out of me. But I I, I think I think I finally got my sea legs under me. I, I attribute that very much to my my campaign manager, Laser Melina Weber. Um, they've, they've just been unbelievable. Like, I mean, they're a person that is, um, that, you know, that's, that's their bread and butter to be able to help, um, run these campaigns, answer all these questions, get into all this minutia kind of stuff. So they're with me on this campaign as well, but I don't have to bother them as much with stupid questions because, because now I, I've got a little bit of muscle memory in me. So for me, it's a really fulfilling thing just because for that same thing of like, Usually I, I just package it, I edit it and I give it over. There's something that feels, I don't know, more like I'm doing it by hand. It's just a little bit more fulfilling and like the, a few hundred, like trying to ask like, Hey, do you guys, we're going to make this, do you want this? And having so, a few hundred people like say yes. And we believe in it so much that we're going to give you a few dollars before it's even done. I don't know. It, it's just been a really invigorating experience for me. And it, it's really, I've been able to build confidence off of this process and, and the Kickstarter community has just been like, like really like, like extremely supportive of it. So uh, I've, I've got two more projects that I'm working on right now that we're going to do after alter ego that'll come in several months after, but I, I just really enjoyed the process. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it, uh, as kind of a long time Kickstarter backer. Um, and I can't tell you how many of the projects that you listed that I'm like waiting to arrive in my mailbox now. Um, it is <laughs> right. Um, it has, um, I, I really appreciate how it has provided the light of day for projects that, that would not have otherwise seen it. Um, the community is fantastic, but like the, the freedom that it provides these exceptionally creative folks like you to just do whatever the hell you want. Um, it, it, it's, it's a super valuable tool. It's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's not just Kickstarter, but other, you know, other, other places as well. Just the, the idea of like, we, you know, like I, I, I there's such value in publishers. Publishers are great. I work with lots of publishers, but it's like, mm-hmm. you don't have to have one. Right. <laughs> He's like, you can do it yourself. And you like for so long, it was so hard to do it. You could have done it, but you just didn't have the tools. You didn't, you know, the, like uh, a lot of people talk bad about the internet and all that kind of stuff. But like the internet's sometimes the internet's pretty cool. <laughs> like, this is, <laughs> yeah. This, 20 years ago, this is not something I could do. And even like with Twitter, like Twitter can sometimes be a, a dumpster fire, but it's like I wouldn't have worked with Doc Shaner. I wouldn't have worked with Jacob. I wouldn't have worked with Jennifer L. Meyer uh, or Hasanats Menahau or uh, like I, like all these people that I never would have found if, if not for uh, finding them online and then being able to figure out to build these tiny little infrastructures and backing backing solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we're doing like we're doing five, five alternate covers on this one book. And if you would ask me, if you'd ask me to like figure out how to do alternate or variant covers myself, my, my nose would have started bleeding even like a year ago, let alone five years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really the process has, you got to put the work in, you know, like you get out what you put in, but like, it's a really fulfilling, amazing process to be able to like, put a book together 
like with your creative team and then send it out to people that really want it. It's, it's just, it's thrilling. It's really fun. Yeah. You know, anybody who looks at the, the sort of perennial struggles of, you know, the big two Marvel and DC and wants to know if, if this medium is still thriving and alive and kicking, you just send them to Kickstarter. There's just, there's so much going on. It's, it's, it's the golden age for, for this medium. And the, the webcomic stuff in general, right? Like the, like, like you said, Nate, the, the internet, the way that the internet has changed accessibility and made it possible for anyone to make their comics and then for anyone to read those comics, um, the, the, the talent that's involved just in, in the superhero books now, because yeah. they, because a bunch of folks started their own web comics. Um, they're, it's fantastic. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And success begets success, right? Where it's like somebody has a successful web comic that, that they're able to find a publisher or they're able to get extra mm-hmm. funding for, or with the crowdfunding stuff. Like, I mean, honestly, like even, even things like, I, I think there was some static at the time when Berserker or <laughs> went out on uh, <laughs> Kickstarter and stuff like that. And it's like, Oh, selling out Keanu. Like that's just like, whatever. But it's like, that calls so much attention to the platform and right. then which and Kickstarter is like whatever their algorithm rhythms are are so good at like, hey, thanks for backing this. Do you also want to back this? Like we right. know like we're we're asking for like fifty thousand dollars on this, but here's one that just they're just looking for fifteen hundred dollars. And you get yeah. this like you can get this amazing comic. And like I've I've gone and uh contributed to all sorts of like I contributed to a role-playing game the other day. I've never played a role-playing game. And but like th- it was so charming and I just love the look of it. And it was just set in like like Downton Abbey kind of era, which is my bread and butter. Um <laughs> it's like, yes, I will play a a, a multicultural Downton Abbey inspired role-playing game. Sure. <laughs> send it Why to not? Me. Yes. Here's, the hell? here's my money. Yeah, take it. Yeah. So Give yeah. Me stickers too, please. Yeah, stickers. <laughs> So, Nate, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us today. Um, the Kickstarter for Alter Ego is either live as this goes live or will be live tomorrow. Um, and so make sure you check out Kickstarter and uh, make your pledge. Thanks again, Nate. Yeah, it's been a lot Thanks, of fun. Guys. Thanks, Nate. Thank you. Thanks. And thanks for listening. Our theme music is by Christopher Piatic.